this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. So we have been putting a little bit of extra focus on giving lately, and today, being that it's Testimony Weekend, I have an actual tithing testimony for you that I thought we just, we'll get started with testimonies early. Is that all right? All right, let's invite Jordan Yealy up. So before I started tithing, I struggled pretty bad financially. And it took me, I would say, probably about two years to actually begin a tithe. And my wife, Lindsay, would always harp on me for trying to tithe. And I honestly didn't understand the purpose behind it or anything until one of Candace's sermons about tithing and going through tithing and Lindsay, again, harping me about tithing. So I decided one day that, you know, enough was enough, and I tithe. That following Monday, I received a new job opportunity with a $5 raise. So ever since then, I sucked it up, chose to tithe that same payday, and never looked back. And ever since then, I haven't struggled financially. Well, I mean, I have, but that's to my own doing. But ever since then, money just never seemed that much of an issue anymore. God will always provide for you no matter what it is. So good. So good. Thank you, Jordan. Anything else? I don't know anyone who tithes faithfully and consistently that isn't passionate about it. This is not a plea for just money for the church, although it absolutely needs it for the ministry that we do, right? But it's, it's for you as well. Tithing is you telling God with your actions that you trust him, him and only him to provide for you. It it is 10% of your income. It is a specific number, not some just whatever you want to give in the offering. It's disciplining yourself to say, God, I trust you with 10. You take care of the 90, (laughs) right? And he does. It's amazing. But he does. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food in my temple. If you do, the Lord of heaven's army says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. He wants to provide for you, but you got to show him that you're, you're trusting in him and him alone. Isn't that good? You ready to hear lots more testimonies just like that one? Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you're doing here at Freedom Valley, that we get to see life change, that we get to be a part of life change and what you're doing in Adams County, but also that you're using us to do it. It is an amazing privilege that we get to give into your house and your people, and we thank you and praise you for everything that it has given us as well. I pray that you would bless each and every person that dedicates their heart to this house to give into it and and bless this ministry and this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is Testimony Weekend. Do you all remember last year? It was about the end of November, I think, and it was so good and faith-building to see what God is doing in us. You know, it's one thing we have been looking at all of these waymaker big epic stories, right? We, we looked at Moses parting the Red Sea and at Jonah and all of these, you know, Daniel in the lion's den type of stories, these big epic Old Testament stories. But God does it in each and every one of our lives too. <laughs> right? He, 
does it, he makes a way where there is no way in our everyday lives. And so that's what this series, that's what this uh, particular week of this series is all about. We're going to hear stories together. You all are going to tell your stories. And uh, we're going to build our faith in the process. Are you ready? Now, when each, um, what, what's going to happen is I'm going to call three up at a time. They're going to share their stories with you all. I have a couple of them written that I'm going to read as well. But your job is to just celebrate because I often forget just how intimidating this stage can be <laughs> and this microphone can be, which is a testimony in and of itself that I forget that. God made a way for me where there was no way. Um, but I, I do. I know a lot of you came in today just full of nerves about sharing your story up here. So please be welcoming. It is tougher than it looks. All right. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to ask our first three to come up. So I'm going to ask Yatsiri, Johnny, and Cookie to all go ahead and make your way. Make your way up here and join me on the couches. <laughs> As they come, I want you to keep in mind throughout all of these stories just how impossible things would have been if God hadn't moved. Right? We've been talking about him making a way where there is no way. And you just have to sort of remember just how impossible this stuff feels. No cookie? She's still getting... She's cheesy. <laughs> She's all wet. She's like, come on, give me a minute. I didn't think about that cookie. I'm sorry. I should have put you not first. Is it on? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's on. All right. Yeah, Siri, tell us your story. First of all, what happened? Yeah, so hi, everyone. I'm Yat Siri, if you don't know me. <laughs> um, this is nervous. Close. I'm nervous. <laughs> Hold it as close to your mouth as okay. possible. Um, so to start with, um, I'm a proud immigrant daughter and my parents migrated to the U.S. Um, to give my siblings and I a better life. Um, and thanks to them, I'm privileged to be a DACA recipient and not too long ago, my father was arrested due to his immigration status. Uh, so what's happening is that he's facing deportation and on Wednesday, August 23rd of 2023, he had a sentencing hearing. He was facing the maximum penalty of 20 years. This was due to his unlawful entry. Um, I had prayed over him and for him prior. Um, and on that day, I decided to go to the court hearing. Um, from the moment I woke up, I started fasting, praying, worshiping, and praising God, and just praying for the best and to let it God, to be God's will. And on my drive up to the United States courthouse, um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 was just on my mind really heavily and on my heart. I didn't understand why. Um, I wanted to arrive a little bit early to be able to pray over the courtroom, and I just happened to arrive before the attorneys, the judge, and my father and others. I started praying for mercy and for the Lord's favor to fill the room, and not only the room, but the judge, and to simply everyone in the room that was going to be there. And I just kept praying and praying through the entire hearing as I heard the litigation go back and forth. I just kept praying. Once they were ready to sentence my father, I remember clear hearing the judge clearly and just looking up 
and my father was sentenced not 20 years, but one month. So, um, yeah, this, this was um, a moment where I, I don't know, I, I even, like, I'm shaking now, <laughs> even talking about it. But um, since then, my father and I are just simply waiting for his release and to be reunited. And this has shown me not only the power of prayer, but to trust God fully, and that, is, that he is in control and to let it be his will truly 110%, knowing that he is the way when we think there is no way. Isn't that good? Yeah, Siri, by the way, was the first one on my list. You called me, I think, that yeah. day that it happened, yeah. and I was like, that is God making a way <laughs> yeah. where there was no way. Will you share that story? And she said yes. Yeah. So it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. You. All right, Johnny, tell us about your story. How did God make a way where there was no way? You have to use the microphone. <laughs> they can't hear you at home if you don't speak clearly into it. A little nervous, <laughs> sorry. Um, Johnny, about six months ago, I had a stroke. Um, was in Gettysburg Hospital for 10 days. Um, released with paralyzation in my left side. Uh, three months after that, I think, I had a healing here at, at V. I came up, um, Isaiah, the great youth pastor, laid hands. Uh, just to go back a little bit, 20 minutes before that, I was hurting so bad, sitting in a seat, I was ready to go home. I didn't want to do this. So... I went to the restroom, come back. They were yelling my name to come up. They laid hands. And about 30 seconds into it, I felt this warm, hot sensation go down my spine. And for the first time in six months, my arm moved, or her. And somebody yelled, raise it up, and I was able to raise it on my... I was able to raise it over my head. And here today. In the next couple of days after that, I just felt complete movement in my left side, my left leg. I took off the brace. Um, it was the most incredible, most emotional thing I went through in my life. And to say that, if for anybody to say there's no God, I promise you there is. Yes. I felt him that day and will never forsake him the rest of my life for that. So good. So good. Thank you, Johnny. Now, Cookie, tell us your story. I don't know where to start. There has been so many times that God's touched my life. Um, the past few months, several months, I, dating back since October, there's been many things going on in my life. Um, my father was sick, um, and he passed cancer the day after Thanksgiving. 
Uh, I took blessed oil. Um, actually, you educated me how to bless oil. I laid it on my father, prayed over him. I asked the Lord to help him ease through his transition, help him, you know, not suffer and pass, and that happened. Um, I, Johnny had a stroke, and he told you that story. Um, going back several years before that, before I even started going to Freedom Valley, I got COVID. And I have very, very bad asthma. And God healed me. It wasn't medicine, it was God. I was home for two weeks, not on oxygen, not on a machine, keep me alive. And I work as an ICU nurse, so I have seen the worst of the worst. And it was God. It was not medicine, it was God. And I mean, that, that's, you know. Um, and he, wanted, he said, do you want to go to the hospital? I said, no, I don't need to. You know, I could keep going. Um, just that. Um, How about your most recent healing? The most recent? My voice. My voice. I lost my voice for uh, three weeks. Um, and Pastor Candace, Aaron, a few others laid their hands on me. And I told, I, I told God before they did that, I said, listen, if you don't want me to have a voice, that's okay. I will send the word out with a whiteboard and a little marker. I will, ma- I will spread the message. But if you give my voice back, I'll never shut up. <laughs> and I, 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 I tell my stories. And I preach it. They may not want to hear it, but I'll never stop talking. And I share the word. And as long as I got lungs in here, my, in my, as long as I got a voice, I'm going to keep spreading the word. And the voice goes away. I still got my little arm. I'll, I'll, I'll write. I'll do whatever I can. But there's definitely God. He's here. He's everywhere. If you guys, as a couple, could encourage the church with one thing, what would you tell them? Love and faith. If you just keep it, there's nothing. I could sit here for an hour and tell you my life, and it would make you sick. But because I'm here, his testimony alone, what he does. Yeah. Two strokes in 14 years. Um, it's just, I'm here, and I'm able to walk. Um, I, I can't imagine anybody saying God's not real or not in my lifetime. I don't want to hear anybody say that. Because <laughs> trust me, he's real. I'm walking. They had said I wear a brace for the rest of my life and may not walk. And it's one thing I don't believe in is man-made medicine because God is real. He'll heal you on his own time. Yeah. Me working in the medical profession, I know I help people, and that's where I was called to. But it's up to God. I'm a helper. You know, I'm a helper. Yeah. And one thing I remember in the Bible is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. So remember that. He loves out, and he loves all of us. Yeah. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, he loves us. Mm-hmm. So good. Awesome. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you so much. And I'm going to call the next three. While they come, I'm going to read a story as well. But uh, Jody, Brian, and Sarah, go ahead and start making your way. 
Now, while they come, I have Sandra's story for you. And I have her picture for the screen. So I'm going to read her story to you. As I thought about what testimony I wanted to share. Is she in here? Where is she? Wave at us, too, so we know where you are. (laughs) As I thought about what testimony I wanted to share, I realized I had many examples where God provided a way where there was no other way. I feel as though he wanted me to share what he did for me at the very start of my life. I was born with meningitis. My parents were told doctors would do all they could for me, but that they should not expect me to live past 10 days. And even if I were to survive, the doctor said I would be a vegetable. For those that aren't familiar with meningitis, it's a life-threatening disease. If not treated quickly, especially in newborns, it can be deadly. It's an inflammation of the protective membranes covering the brain and spinal cord. Even after survival, there's a 50 to 60% chance of having life-altering effects. Infants who survive meningitis develop chronic neurological complications. My parents put their faith in God above all the bad news they were given and believed their firstborn would live and have a normal life. After 10 days had passed, the doctors saw I was getting better. Eventually, my parents were able to take me home. Monthly, they had to take me in for checkups to ensure I was developing normally. For every checkup, I showed advancement in developing, no delays as they were expecting. Praising God, he answered their prayers. I was completely healed and did not have any life-altering effects. Fast forward 37 years later, I love this part. I'm here healthy as can be, married to an awesome husband, Romero, going on 19 years, and blessed with three amazing boys, Gianni, Leo, and Adrian. I put a picture of the boys up there for this reason. Our boys are also a living testimony of God making a way. I had a 50% chance of carrying a defective chromosome that would cause me not to be able to have male children. It was confirmed through the grace of God I did not inherit that defective chromosome because as you all can see, God gave her three boys on purpose as a reminder of his faithfulness in her life. She writes, from birth, God has shown up in my life in miraculous ways. I'm so thankful to be alive and to serve an awesome God. Isn't that a good story? (laughs) So good. All right. We got Jody on the couch. And Brian and Sarah up next, Jody. It's so crazy that she mentioned the whole meningitis. Yes, that's my sister, by the way. (laughs) I just mentioned on the way over here to Mike. It's so weird that, so I'm back in the medical field. I don't know if you knew that, but um, I was recently learning about meningitis and the vaccine and things, and Sandra just came to my mind, and I was just like, I don't think she realizes how much of a miracle she is. And, you know, it's just great that we have you, and I love you, and, you know, you're just a blessing. So thank you. (laughs) Yes, so for those that don't know me, my name is Jody. Um, My my husband is Mike, uh, sitting over there. (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. Um, So uh, Mike and I actually help out in the prayer team. We help with deliverance here, so... Um, I do want to go ahead and reach out and say if anyone um, does need any assistance, any, you know, you're struggling, please come to us. That's why we're here. Um, you know, God gave the, get, put us in that position to do that. So, Tommy, thank you so much for sharing that. I think it is a real thing out there with people, you know, struggling with things in the mind. And a lot of people that we, de- that we deal with do mention that. So I just want you to know that those aren't your thoughts. Um, or thoughts of the enemy, and it's not true. 
you do have a purpose in life, and we're here to help. So, you know, if you need that, we're here. So moving on to my story. Um, of course, like many of us, we have lots of testimonies, but today I want to share with you um, a healing testimony that I went through. Um, so starting in 2021, um, Mike and I were actually living a season of blessings. Uh, we just bought a new home. We started a deliverance ministry, which was going great. Um, but soon after the year of 2022, it was just the beginning of a worse time of my life. Um, excuse me, I'm hoping not to cry during this, but I'll try my best. Um, January of 2022, uh, we had a great celebration with the family. Um, but the day after, um, a few of us went to dinner. And that night when I came home, uh, we were going to bed. And Mike, you probably remember this, but... I felt like something in the spirit was shaken, like something just fell off to me, and, and I felt like something was coming. Like, I don't know, I just felt like something bad was going to happen, um, and I, I said this to you, and it was just a weird thickness feeling in the air, and it just, just felt so off. But as the days went on, um, the next day I actually woke up sick. It was COVID. Our whole house ended up getting sick. Um, so that was fun. My mom ended up getting sick. Uh, that's a whole other testimony in itself. Um, but she was sick with COVID in the hospital for a while. Um, so after I had COVID, I started to experience hives. When I say hives, you might think, you know, they're just itchy, uncomfortable here and there. And I actually wanted to share some pictures with you so that you know exactly the hives that I had. Um, and it wasn't just like a day or so, like this lasted for months. Uh, this was a period of six months, half a year. Um, the first three months were basically just like you see there. Um, from head to toe, I was covered. I went to an ENT. I went to a specialist. Um, they did blood work. All the blood work came back negative. I wasn't allergic to anything. We didn't change anything at home. Um, I didn't eat anything different. Um, all my life, I don't ever recall being allergic to anything. I have had hives here and there, um, but nothing like this. Um, one day I had it so bad, probably the day there that you see with my arm showing, um, it was just painful blisters, my entire body, and I just needed some type of relief. I went to the ER, going there hoping for some answers or some type of relief of some injection or something. Um, the doctor just looked at me and said, I'm sorry, I can, there's nothing I can do. I don't know, you know, what caused it, and there really isn't, like, a medication we can give you because we don't know what's causing it. Uh, deep down inside, I was just, you know, heartbroken. I didn't understand, like, why can't you just inject me with something? Like, I'm so uncomfortable. Like, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack, really. Um, but again, no answers. So I just went back on home. And just dealt with this for months. Um, it definitely brought on depression. It brought on anger. Um, there was times where I would just isolate myself in the room because I was just so uncomfortable. Like, I just wanted to be alone. Um, it was crazy because one of your questions was, how did God make a way? And um, during, right before I got the hives, uh, the Lord blessed me with a job from home. So I was able to work from home, and because there's no way, there was days that I couldn't even walk, like 
my hands were swollen, my feet were swollen. It was painful to even move. So I thank God that he actually provided a job for me to work from home during that time. So thank you, Jesus. Um, but during that time, the Lord definitely made a way with that. Um, he gave me a great support system. And I really owe a lot of thanks to my husband, Mike, because he was the one doing all the research. He was watching all the YouTube videos. He was trying everything to like help me. And he really tried his best to walk each and every day with me and try to experience everything I was. Even though he couldn't, he tried his best. Um, he cooked up some concoction of celery juice and he said, if you're drinking it, I'm drinking it. <laughs> Whatever I couldn't eat, he couldn't eat. Like, and you know, it was literally everything that I ate. Like, if you know anything about histamine, certain foods have higher histamines. Um, so that's definitely one thing that I learned. And um, basically, most of the things I couldn't eat, I lost a lot of weight. Um, but the Lord definitely showed me. I would go to my secret place, and I would pray to him, and, and sometimes in anger, because I was like, God, I'm being obedient. I'm in deliverance ministry, God. I'm, I'm your servant. I'm serving your people. Like, why is this happening to me? I don't know what's going on. The doctors aren't giving me answers. Like, why aren't you giving me answers, you know? So um, I would go to my secret place, and I would just pray to him. And coming across, learning about the fruits of the Spirit, I came along the word long-suffering. And... Um, I'm like asking myself, God, I really have to suffer? Like, and at the same time, I'm like, why would I even ask that? Because the Lord has suffered so much for each and every one of us. Why would I even ask that? Um, but looking up, actually, long suffering is a Greek word. It is actually, give me one moment and I'll find it for you. Um, it was a Greek word that I actually found was macrothumia, which is long-tempered. It means patient. And those who are patient are not weak, meek, but strong in character and um, resisting in rash reactions. So um, the Lord really showed me that I had to be patient. And in that time, I'm like, okay, Lord Jesus, I'll be patient. Um, so that's what I did. That's all I could do. Um, the doctors try to medicate me. The specialists try to medicate me. I only took some of that for like about a week. Nothing was helping. Some of them actually gave me weird side effects, um, weird thoughts, and I was just like, I'm not doing that. So I just pretty much dealt with Benadryl for six months. Um, the ZZ method, if you know what that is, Zyrtec and Zantec, um, really, really helped. Um, we did a lot of natural things. Um, I took a gut health test. That helped me out as well. Um, of course, and just being mindful with what I ate, I think like that's what the Lord also wanted to show me, being obedient and not splurging and things that I shouldn't be eating, you know, just being smart about what I'm choosing to eat. Um, so that was a big thing for me, and I really have learned and um, gained wisdom and like the stuff that I should be eating and healthy things, and I'm really just appreciative of that, but... Um, at the end of those six months, the Lord blessed me with a great vacation with my family just in time for that vacation. We had a great time. So, um, yeah, that was it. Mm -hmm. what, what finally did it? It was just a combination of all those things. I think it was a combination of all that. Um, mm -hmm. It did start off pretty rough. Um, 
But like the first three months was really, really bad. Mm -hmm. um, there were moments where I would just break out even towards the end, I would still have breakouts. Um, let's say if the dog would scratch me, I would break out. Like, it was just horrible. Um, it looks horrible. I think that, I think the ZZ method really helped me and just kind of like eliminating unhealthy. I used to eat bread a lot. I don't know those of you that like bread, but I was like addicted to bread and sweets. Like, I had to have a sweet every single day. Um, <laughs> None so. of us can relate to that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, sugars and carbs are horrible, like as bad as it sounds, like we don't want to hear that, but um, I feel like the Lord's like, you need to calm down with that. So just like a mixture of all that, I think helped and just being patient with the Lord, like I, we all want instantaneous healing um, mm -hmm. that didn't happen. He gave me progressive healing, but at the same time, it's just standing firm in him and, you Absolutely. know, keeping your faith in him is yes. what it's all about. Absolutely. So good. And no issues since. No, um, no hives, but I will say like sometimes I'll get like a slight rash here and there and it's like my body goes into like this, whoa, watch what you're eating. Like you mm -hmm. had too much of this, slow down. So I'm kind of being a little mindful of that rash is here and there, but nothing like I've experienced. But um, who's to say, you know, those trials and tribulations won't come again. I'm not yeah. saying they won't, but I know how to be prepared now. So that's awesome. Such yeah. a good word. Yeah, there's one you. thing you could encourage everyone with, what would that be? Yes. Um, so I have those pictures not just because I want them. I, it's hard to look back to know what, you know, remember how I felt. Um, but my most important thing is just thanking the Lord, being grateful, gratitude, and what that does. It just shows you how where God is in every situation in your life. And I just think being grateful and thankful to the Lord in anything is what he really wants us to um, take a hold of. Yeah, even when your whole body hurts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that a good story? Such a good testimony of God not making a way instantaneously, like you said. Sometimes it's a process, and we have to be ready for both. I love that. Thank you so much. Brian and Sarah, tell yes. us your story. All right. Uh, so, Candace, this is, I'm Brian Berth, and this is my beautiful wife, Sarah. Um, so Candace had asked us three questions, and I put them on each a page, so we won't be here that long. Um, the first question was, what went wrong? So I was filled with pride, entitlement, and an ego. I was married to Sarah. I didn't respect that as a blessing. I chose to watch pornography, be involved in sexting other women, and always put what I wanted to do above her since we started dating. Then came Mason, another blessing, which he truly is. But we struggled as married parents. Sarah's body changed from giving birth, intimacy became less, and I had more responsibilities being a father. And I was still arrogant, prideful, self-centered, Brian, all along. Even though we had began to attend FE Church in 2017 or 2018, I never changed my ways. I remember specifically on two accounts, God calling me out to tell Sarah and confess my sins, and I was too scared to do it. Once was after a service on our way to Giant, Sarah directly looked over at me in the vehicle, so we're about two feet apart from each other, and asked if I was involved in sexual immorality things, and I boldface lied to her. Once was a person, the other one was like a week later, it was a person here at church walked up to me, had no clue about anything I was doing, and told me I needed to take my problems and tell my wife. 
But did I listen? Absolutely not. About two weeks later, November 30th, 2019, I went hunting that day. I sat out in the cold all day, didn't see anything. Came home to a warm meal, a nice house, a wife, a growing child, and our dog's birthday. I went to bed early that night, and I was shortly there woken after by an extremely angered wife who asked me about messages she had found on my phone. I knew I was caught. I knew in that moment it was over. I knew all that just had to be truthful and stop the lies I was telling her and mostly myself. Sarah left that night, took Mason to her sister's house, and to this day, Mason still thinks he went on a sleepover, and it was anything but that for Sarah and I. So the second question was, how did God make a way when there was no way? So in the coming days after this, discussions between Sarah and I, it was agreed that we were going to try and work on this, for we were married in both sickness and in health. That trust was going to take a very long time to rebuild, and if anything, that my prideful, egotistical, don't-need-a-counselor self was going to have to go see a counselor. Trying to find a counselor to talk to was no easy task, for they were months out. And I was too prideful to talk to the pastor staff here at the time, for I didn't want the church to know my life wasn't the happy smiles we greet each other with on Sundays. However, deep in Google, there was a counselor who was located three miles from our house. I sent an email, and he was like, I can see you within the week. This was one way that God made a way for us. So that started my counselor journey. We also began to share locations on our phones. Our phones are now viewable at any time by the other, and this was one of the many ways trust was going to be rebuilt if this marriage was going to work. I had to surrender not only to my wife, but to God. I also, FYI, don't go to Sarah for my hunting spots. They're not that great. <laughs> um, March 2020 comes. So it started in November 2019. It's now March 2020. COVID comes. And Sarah and I are in the midst of rebuilding our marriage that would normally be in divorce court. But we're meeting with a counselor. We're doing some upgrades to our home for we both agreed that the change was much needed if we were going to build a new marriage. Whatever it was going to be, and then the pandemic evolves, and God goes, you two have no choice but to stay home and learn about each other. It's not always the best. <laughs> for you can't leave because there's a shutdown. This was the status quo for what seemed forever because COVID lasted forever. Uh, until the restrictions were lifted, we were slow to get back to church regularly. Then we had a conversation because we were both struggling without church. We agreed we just needed to simply make it a top priority to come back here. Question number three, how has it been since? It's been a long road of trust rebuilding, reconnecting, and learning to communicate with our needs to each other, which is still ongoing. Since all that has happened, the biggest thing we both have learned is God must be first, not our, your children, not work, life, or even your spouse. Obedience to God will, will always prevail, and share your troubles with your spouse. Invest in your marriage, date nights, marriage conferences, and share what you're learning about among each other. God made a way in our lives when there seemed like there was only one way. He provided a counselor when most were booked out, 
He provided a season for us to grow when we both didn't want to and changed my perception on what the blessings truly are. Most of all, he made a way for our marriage to become strong and meaningful. If you're going through struggles, talk to someone about them. Give your life fully to Jesus. Be patient on your walk in faith, for the blessings you receive aren't the same as the person next to you. Also, if anyone here today can relate to this and wants prayer or guidance, I'm willing to meet with you. Isn't that good? So brave of you guys to share this story. Thank you so much because there, there's so many marriages that struggled, especially through COVID and just the past couple of years. And uh, so brave of you to share that story. And God can make a way where there is no way. It's not amazing. Sarah, did you want to add to it as well? Yeah. Um, so I know for for me, it was... I always had that little, especially like when I was pregnant, I had this little inkling like something wasn't right. And then I had gotten a message um, from some random guy I didn't even know. And he had said, hey, I don't care how you handle your marriage, but your husband needs to leave my coworker alone saying inappropriate things. And I asked Brian and he's like, oh yeah, my Facebook was hacked. At that point, I was just like, oh, okay. Cause like it happens. Um, and then in November, when it happened again, someone messaged me and said, hey, your husband's been sending me things, you know. It was this weird, just like feeling that you need to go ask your husband. Now, mind you, it was like 1130 at night, and I don't know how I did it. I just got the strength to just go back and confront him, and that was probably the hardest thing I had to do. Um, but then also, it, it was right around, you know, the holidays, and um, it's tough. No matter yeah. how you slice it, it's yeah. tough to share this stuff. Yeah. Um, I just remember, you know, thinking, like, I was at my lowest point. And then I'm thinking, like, everyone else around me was happy. It was Christmas, it was Thanksgiving, everything was good, and... I had to pretend and put a face on that. Everything in my life was okay. When really, deep down inside, I was... I didn't think I would be able to get out of that. Um, and I know I've said this to a couple of people, but I just remember standing in my shower and just sobbing and just praying, like, God, you need to help. Like, I can't handle this. You need to help take my burdens away. And I was at my ultimate low. Um, but then he made a way for me, and he, he pushed me to kind of step outside of my comfort level, and he pushed me to really dive more into the Word. Um, and like Brian said, to kind of get us back into church and really, you know, be part of our church and become part of the family. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where I hated that I had to go through it, but at the same time, it would it was great for me because God took me down a path that I didn't even know I was capable of. Um, he made me a lot stronger, and I never thought that I could be as brave as I had to be, especially with Mason and not not telling him and trying to explain things to him. So he definitely made a way in our marriage as a whole, but then also just me personally, because he gave me more confidence and he gave me the strength that I needed to 
not only get through this, but get through other things that, you know, come up in life and come up in your marriage. And it's, you know, I think COVID was one of those things as awful it was as it was. It forced us to be together, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I hated at the moment because I didn't want anything to do with him. But um, in the grand scheme of things, I think, you know, it, it helped us to get closer to God and then also work through what we needed to work through. And since then, you guys have jumped in with both feet to all things church. Yes. Right? Home group, volunteering. Yep. They're around everywhere, all the the groups. Yeah. All the things. (laughs) Yeah. God is good. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you all so much. These stories are not easy to share. Thank you. But we got three more, and while they come, I'm going to share another written one. So Lori Daldrick, Tim Edwards, Rich Randall, go ahead and start making your way up here. And I'm going to read Rosie's story. Rosie wanted to, if you don't know Rosie and Ken there, uh, Rosie wanted to share this in person but had to work today. And so uh, she gave me permission to read her story. So since childhood, my life was wrought with pain, she writes. I was born into a very destructive family, lived in a violent home, was afraid, neglected, emotionally abused, told I was a mistake, I regretted being born. I was taught to find answers in occult practices and learn to make decisions with Ouija boards and tarot cards, palm readers, horoscopes, seances, crystals, incense, and white magic. I attempted suicide at age 13 and regretted my survival. I rebelled, I got tough. I became cold. Sadness was overwhelming. I became more depressed and colder and harder and more destructive and angry. I wanted to die every day, and I planned it every day. But then God used another believer, giving them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to see my pain, my sin, and show me that no matter what, how much, no matter how much I said I believed in God, I was missing the beautiful blessing of a real relationship with Jesus. In the midst of my sinful choices, God reached down and snatched me up right in the middle of my sin, my destructive choices, destructive mindset, and I gave my life to Jesus, immediately setting me free. In my helplessness, for the first time, I felt God's presence and love. That moment forever changed my life. That day was May 18th, 1991. But then, That feeling soon diminished. I was saved and I knew it, but I reverted back to many of my old ways and thinking that I had learned as a child and a young adult. But something was definitely different. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Over several years, I prayed for strength. I prayed for guidance and wisdom and forgiveness. But I believe the most powerful prayer I prayed was for God to give me a hunger and understanding for his word and to teach me obedience. The more I sought his word and prayed, the more I understood, and the easier and more rewarding it became to obey. Through his word, I began to know what his voice was like. John 15, 4 through 9, laid heavy on my heart and mind, beginning with, Abide in me, and I in you. For a long time, these words pursued me. I studied it, read about it, and listened to teachings about it. I learned what abiding means. Abiding in Christ is not a feeling or a belief. Sometimes we do feel it. It means to remain or stay. And it's far more than the idea of continued belief in the Savior. The verse continues, As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. But my newfound understanding posed another question. Where is my fruit? Then the quest continued. The more I pursued and obeyed him, little by little the fruit appeared. I soon realized that Jesus had always been with me, even in the struggles, waiting for me to choose him, love him, obey him, and abide in him. My journey has been long. There are many strongholds to break. But today, as I look back on my journey as a believer, I realize that I have been blessed with struggles. Yes, she wrote, blessed with struggles. For some, like me, the journey will be longer. I believe for me, without those struggles and questions, repentance and abiding, the fruit would not be nearly as sweet. My journey still continues. I am still a sinner. I still mess up. I still get angry and scared, still have struggles. But I know through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am redeemed as a child of God. If you are a believer, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and be obedient in sharing the gospel. God may have put you in this time and this place to lead someone to Christ. If not you, then who? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, do it. Do it now. Nothing in this world is more beautiful or rewarding. Nothing. Choose him. Every day, choose him, pursue him, pray, read his word, ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit to pour over you and give you understanding. Isn't that good? All right. Three more. Rich, you're up first. Tell us your story. All right. Um, In 1984, I had finished a 20-year um, 20 years in the Navy, and I was a um, godless, sinful, disgusting rat. And uh, when I realized that, that led to salvation experience. I was saved in uh, May of 85. But what I'm going to talk about today is um, three miracles that happened to me after salvation. So... Um, I was about $20,000 in debt. Um, I had a rather low-paying job. The first miracle was um, uh, I put an ad in a magazine, <laughs> and I met Judy, who later became my wife. And it's just like out of the blue. It's an amazing story in itself. So um, the second miracle... I'm still, I'm in debt. I'm, <clears throat> I'm having a hard time making things meet. And uh, along comes this um, letter in the mail from a bank. Now, in those days, credit card interest rates were, well, maybe they're still the same, 14, 17%. And uh, this, this bank says, uh, give me all your debt, and uh, you can go interest-free for six months. Well, that's like getting a pay raise because the interest is hundreds of dollars a month. So um, I invoked that and then it happened again and it happened again. And I also got um, a credit union offering me a low interest loan. These things came out of the blue. I, I didn't ask for any of this. So um, I was able now to, um, to pay more against my debts and to pay more to the church. 
I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself. I had this argument with my pastor. I was just uh, beginning uh, a Christian church, and I was learning about the Lord's Word, and uh, the pastor's talking about tithing. <laughs> I said, this is ridiculous. How can I tithe? I can't pay my bills. This is ridiculous. He showed me the Word. He studied it, and I realized this is the Word of God. So I committed myself to tithe, although at the time, there was no way. That commitment is what led to these letters coming from the banks and stuff. So, um, so now I'm on my way to paying off the debt. The third miracle, I, uh, I was working for a company and they had a customer who, uh, who offered a, a job that involved driving 90 miles a day around the Washington Beltway, a horror story. Every day, I took the job. <laughs> yeah, I would leave at, you know, 5 in the morning, come back at 7 or 8 at night. But um, I got a huge raise because the company loved me. I, loved me? What the heck? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, so they actually prompted this huge raise. So... Uh, there, I, now I could really pay things off and reach the tithe level. And I got to say, you know, I, I moved to Maryland uh, to be closer to work, get, get rid of that 90-mile-a-day drive. Uh, we um, you know, won a five-year contract. Um, I went to a different church, tithing right away, supported two different um, uh, building funds. So when we moved here to Freedom Valley, it's like a no-brainer, tithing right away. You got a building fund? Yes, sign me up. And never look back. So I appreciate <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Such a good story. Rich has always been such a blessing, such a giver. Thank you so much for that. Tim, tell us your story. The Lord is always working behind the scenes to help those who trust him, to win and succeed. This is a story of what he did for me. In 2019, I worked for DRI Machine Shop in Hanover. All during the spring, they were struggling to get enough work to keep us all busy. For months, the foreman would send me home early, at least one day a week. When summer came, it got worse, and I was using up all my vacation days just to get a 40-hour paycheck. While this was happening, somehow the manager of the company got a grant to send two of us to machinist certification classes. This included enough money to pay us for two weeks while we were making our parts for the class which involved doing every operation a manual machinist is required to do, and then taking the class. He went around the shop asking the young guys if they would like to sign up for it, failing to tell them that they would get a 50-cent raise if they passed the class. They all declined. When he got to me, I said, yes, 
I've been doing this for 37 years and don't have anything to document what I know. He signed me and another guy up. When the first week came, I made and finished all my parts. They were extremely complicated and difficult. When the second week came, we went to Elsner Engineering Works, a company in the industrial park that sponsored a place for the classes to be held. They had five people enrolled in the class. Plus, there were many teachers from around Adams County trying to get their certification so they could teach in the machine shop at their high schools. While some were learning calculations and such, others were out in the shop making their parts. The instructor graded my parts, and I took the 80-question test. Now, while I was away from work, my foreman decided that he needed to lay off two people, and I was one of the two he picked. But because I was away, he couldn't lay me off. <laughs> this gave the manager the time to talk to the owner over at the mother company. The owner asked about the two guys they had picked to lay off. They said, the first guy is basically a button pusher. The owner said, lay him off. Let him go. And what about the other guy? They said, it's Tim. And we don't want to let him go because he knows too much. But we just don't have the work. The owner said, Okay, so when Monday comes, bring him over here and we'll find him something to do. <laughs> I lost my job and got a new one, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> I challenge and beg you, to trust the Lord, the more you trust him, the more he will do. Such a good story. And I love how many of these are provision related, right? We are, are I think we're in a season where we need more of these stories. Thank you guys so much for being willing to share them. God is a providing God. Jehovah Jireh, right? Amen. Thank you, Tim. Lori, tell us your story. I sat at this end because I knew it was last and beside the tissues. <laughs> um, I married an atheist. My husband, Jim, did not believe that there was a creator at all. He was a very, very much a science man. And for many years, we had a good marriage. We had a good marriage, but... After a while, it started to get bad, as it would be. Um, and it got so bad at one point, and I just kept praying for healing in our marriage. And um, Jim did then say that he would come to church with me as a last-ditch effort to save our marriage or help our marriage, and this is when we started Freedom Valley. Um, 
little did I know how much Freedom Valley would become like a life, life raft to me. <laughs> but um, Jim did eventually accept Jesus. He had, he had a road to Damascus type experience, which I didn't even believe him at first because you know, he was so adamant before. And then all of a sudden the next day, he's like, I get it. <laughs> okay. But he got baptized and um, things were better in our marriage, but actually got worse for us because our car was totaled on the way home from baptism. So, and then it just seems like we were being attacked in so many different areas. And his diagnosis with pancreatic cancer being the cherry on the top. So we were definitely being attacked. And Jim did truly believe Jesus died on the cross and saved him. But he was so angry at me at the world, at God. And he was so horrible and, and angry and mean to me that I I um, needed to move into my mom and dad's house, which was only half a mile away. It was empty, but still furnished because my dad, my dad died three months before my husband was diagnosed with a terminal illness, so I didn't have time to grieve my dad before I was grieving his terminal illness. Um, so anyway, I was only half a mile away, so we were still married. I still helped him with stuff, but I, I went there to sleep because I needed a safe haven away from the verbal verbal attacks. And, the, and um, it was quiet, even though I'd wake up in the morning to 50-plus text messages from him telling me how horrible a person I was for not being there with him at the worst time of his life. But I still was there. I still helped him, but I still, but I felt so guilty. And I spent so much time on the front porch swing just talking to God and just help to help me because I didn't know what to do. I was scared, scared for our marriage, scared for his dying. What am I going to do with when he does die? Um, so I was at my mom and dad's house and all I, I was, all I wanted to do was to help him and to love him, but I didn't know how to do that. So Jim and I did talk, and I moved back in after Christmas and um, after living at my mom's for six months. And, uh, but within a month, it was worse than it had been before, and it actually got physical. I had to call the cops, put a PFA on my husband who had months to live because I was afraid of him. It turned out that he had been self-medicating so much. Not just the prescription drugs, because he had oxytocin, oxycodone, fentanyl, morphine, street drugs from Philadelphia. And he took Adderall that was not prescribed so he wouldn't sleep all the time. Marijuana from Colorado, so much of it. But the PFA, for the PFA forced him to get the help he needed, to get his meds straightened out, and anger management and counseling. So we went three months without actually talking, and, and mind you, he had a death sentence, so we had no idea how long we would actually have together. But during the three months, I had a friend monitor an email that I set up so we could communicate since we owned a home together. And I, I had asked for pool instructions on how to set up the pool, so he provided 
like 10 pages of instructions to how to work the pool, and he did it with Google Docs. But he left it open-ended. So when my friend opened the attachment and saw all these pages of instructions for the pool, she didn't jump to the end because at the end, the last page was personal, very personal. And it had, had been our wedding anniversary that day, so I responded. And we talked. And we decided that we would do marriage counseling and um, continue to live apart, though. And in order to do that, I needed to lift the PFA. Um, three days after the PFA was lifted was when we were told his cancer had metastasized to his liver and his spine. And he chose not to do chemo. So the doctor said, you had maybe three to five months to live. At this point, we were already on borrowed time because pancreatic cancer is not very kind, and, and usually it averages three to five from diagnosis. So we, here we were already at almost a year, a year and a half almost. So we did some traveling, and he camped in the Rockies and ziplined the Royal Gorge and parasailed over the ocean, and our marriage was strong because we finally, we finally put God first, and he finally put me over his family. I had prayed so hard for this kind of marriage, and God finally gave it to me. And then, so now I prayed for extra time, at least for over Christmas, since our Christmas prior we were apart. And God answered that prayer too. We got 10 months instead of the three to five, and we made the best of it. There was times I was so frustrated or bitter. One night I was stacking firewood that was just delivered and dumped in a big yard, pile in the yard. And I was so tired, and I kept looking at the nice warm light coming from the living room. And I was outside in the cold, in the dark, stacking the wood in the, by myself. So feeling sorry for myself and feeling bitter about that, I, start, I did finally start talking to Jesus instead of being bitter about my husband who was in a nice warm house. And, and I was reminded that Jim would rather be out, the one outside stacking the wood and would never have had me do it alone. In fact, he never had me stack the wood before, ever. So while I was talking to Jesus and just going back and forth between the pile in the yard and the stack on the porch, my perspective changed. And I finally looked at the pile in the yard, and it was much, much smaller than it had been just a minute before. And I looked up and smiled and said to God, did you just send supernatural help with this pile of wood? Because it was not that small. <laughs> but, the, but the thing I realized is that it was my perspective that needed to be changed. So Jim was, Jim was on hospice for three weeks, and we got so close then. At this point, though, I started praying for peace and no pain, and that is what we got. Jim never had to break through pain. He didn't need the extra morphine, and he was at peace, and so was I. But I finally had the husband that God wanted for me but he was taking him from me. So Jim and I had made a playlist of songs that he wanted playing when we knew the time was close. And at this time, his mom had started staying with us, and she would sleep upstairs from like 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. and get up so I could get some sleep from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. because, because of COVID, I was 
able to work from home, so another blessing was that I didn't have to take FMLA and subsequently pay with, you know, leave with no pay after I used up all my my leave. So I would sleep from 2 a.m. to 7 in the recliner beside Jim's bed, his hospital bed, in my living room. And the night Jim died, we had the music playing. She came down at 2, and by 2.30 she woke me, saying his breathing changed. I sat up with him, holding his hand, talking to him, singing whatever song was playing on our playlist at the time. And I had prayed to God for the right words to say to Jim because I didn't want to say it was okay because Jim would know I was lying because it was not okay for him to leave. And he knew that. So what I did say was, you're not alone here. And I named who was there in our living room with us. And I said, you're not alone there. And I named other people including my dad that had were already in heaven. And then I said, and I'll be right behind you. I said this often when we drove separately to places, and as soon as I said that, he took a breath. And while I was waiting for the next breath that never came, I listened to the song that was playing. And, and out of a two-hour-long playlist, the song that was playing when he took his last breath was well done by the afters. And I looked at him and smiled and said, you planned this, didn't you? Because the lyrics are, you've run the race and now you're home. It was. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in my living room that night was so, so strong. And it was probably the most beautiful, bittersweet moment I've ever gone through. And the whole thing was just the hardest thing I can't even imagine going through it because I was so afraid of going through it because I knew I couldn't do this kind of stuff. But like Sarah had said previously, you don't know what you can do until you go through it. And God gave me the strength and the courage. And the things that I learned were patience and forgiveness, mercy, grace, compassion. Because when you're dealing with somebody like that, you, nothing else matters. But my answered prayers were a healed marriage. Not what I expected, not what I wanted, but a healed marriage. Um, I, I prayed for extra time. I got extra time. I got 10 months instead of three. I got Christmas with my husband. I got help with the firewood, okay? This is something small, but it was so heavy and so hard for me. I got, we got peace, we had no pain, and God gave me the right words to say to my husband. Lori's is one of those stories that you almost don't want to applaud because it is so sad, but God did answer prayers, and I got to walk with Lori through a lot of that. I just saw the compassion and the faith building that she responded to all of that with, but now she gets to use this experience for good. God turns all things into good, right? And she's now currently leading her third session, fourth session of Grief Share here at Freedom Valley and helping so many other people through that process. And so God turns all things into good, doesn't he? 
Not in the way you'd think, yeah. Give these guys a hand. Thank you so much. I have one more story to share with you before I wrap things up. This, okay, come over here with me. This one on the screen also has some pictures. <laughs> and this is, Regina wanted to share the story, but she and Brittany, her daughter, are back in kids ministry serving the other kids this morning. So I'm going to share on their behalf. Regina writes, my daughter Brittany Smith and her husband Josh Smith were expecting their third child. At a routine doctor's appointment, the doctor heard a heart murmur and suggested Brittany get an echo done at Hershey with a pediatric cardiologist. February 21st, Brittany went for her first echo at Hershey. Maddox still has the murmur. It comes and goes, so the doctor is not worried about it. His aorta is a little thicker than normal, and it also pumps blood faster, but it doesn't always do it. The valves that open and shut to pump the blood have a small leak. The doctor wants to make sure as he grows it doesn't get bit bigger. If it gets worse, she will have to deliver in Hershey. The doctor said, come back in one month for another echo of his heart. We were all so worried for little Maddox. But at the same time, we chose to give it to God and stand in our faith, and we started praying for his complete and full healing, that his heart would be perfect. March 21st, Brittany went for a second, second echo on Maddox's heart at Hershey. His aorta is thicker. Now, instead of one leak, there is three one at his aorta, one at his right ventricle, and one at his left ventricle. In order for her to deliver at Gettysburg, they have to schedule for her to be induced so that a specialist is there to do an echo on his heart the day he is born. He might just need to be watched closely over time, his physical activity, or he might need surgery. We were still praying strong and with faith that Jesus was going to heal his heart. Our family, our church family, our friends were all praying. Prayer makes all the difference, she writes. Pray without ceasing. May 18th, Maddox was born weighing over 10 pounds. Later, after he was born, they did the echo. It was hours before we got the results, but it felt like days. At 8.16 p.m., the nurse came in and told Brittany and Josh that the doctor said that his echo came back perfect. His heart was completely healed. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus still heals today, she writes. Stand on his promises. Even when it's hard, hold on to your faith. Keep praying. Be persistent. Keep believing. Miracles still happen today. Trust in Jesus always. And isn't that a beautiful baby? <laughs> it's amazing the stories that are all around us every single Sunday morning, right? Stories that you would never know on a, a normal Sunday morning just saying hello to somebody, but God is working miracles everywhere we look. You have another story for us. I wasn't going to share, but I was sitting back there and I felt that feeling. Mm -hmm. Is that all right? Can I share? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> I'm Aaron. Um, how many of you were here when I had kidney failure? Okay, so about half. Okay, so what, 18, 17? So 17, about somewhere in there, eight, 17 or 18, I forget. I got diagnosed with end-stage renal failure out of the blue. And um, threw us for a loop, definitely. Um, but when I was listening to Jody speak, it resonated with a lot of my story about the long-suffering and the no healing in sight kind of situation. And going through this, so like I go to the hospital, double, uh, my blood pressure is double what it should be normally. 
And I had no idea. We had no idea. Just super out of the blue. Get stuck into hospitals for weeks and weeks on end and no one there to help me, it felt like. And God showed me a lot of things. In those times you feel so alone, like during this period of time I had to be hooked up to a machine. And the machine, it was for dialysis, it only had a cord that was long enough to reach the bathroom and it couldn't reach my bedroom. So I had to sleep in the living room for two years on the floor. And I'd never slept because of kidney failure messes up everything in your body. And so I never slept really, like probably an hour a night for two years. And I'd sit out there with the TV on playing YouTube or music or whatever, and I'd just cry, God, heal me, please heal me. And I gave him that, that list. God, I've never done this. I've, I've never been drunk. I've never done drugs. I've, I waited till I was married to sleep with my wife and gave him my list of reasons why I shouldn't be sick. And I thought also, how selfish of me. Jesus sat there and got tortured and died on the cross for me. How selfish of me to complain about my stupid kidneys. And so, but then, you know, the days go by and the weeks go by and you're sitting in the living room still on the floor hooked up to a machine. And you get angry, so I've been there too. And I'm going to be honest, I cussed them out like, screw you, God. How dare you? In my selfishness and stupidity, obviously. But through all this, okay, so almost died multiple times, got septic, got all kinds of stuff. Put my wife, my poor wife, through hell. And I don't deserve her, that's for sure. She was a rock through that. She became a kidney failure expert. Honestly, like she would go in and we'd be at the doctors and she'd be like, no, it's this, it's this. And, and this is how you do this. And she was teaching women at, at Hopkins how to do dialysis. And I was like, that's my wife. You know what I mean? But, Somebody had to do it. But all, all this is going on while we're running a church. And when I wasn't in the hospital, I was on that stage, this stage, serving. Sometimes, thanks to Tommy, I didn't fall over. Because as I got sicker, I got neuropathy. Can't feel my feet still and my legs today. But I would push and I would push and I would push and I'd like, I'm not going to stop doing worship. I have, I have this left. I have like my, my list, my box of things I had. I still could play guitar. I could still sing, kind of. I could stand mostly. <laughs> and then one day up here, Leading worship, I almost fell over. My legs gave out. It broke me in the biggest way because I couldn't do the one thing I still had. And my, my brother, Chris, took me up to my office afterwards and cried with me. You're okay. You can, you can be on a stool. We can get you a chair. I'm like, I don't want a chair. I want to be able to stand and I was like, you don't understand. I have, I'm up here doing worship with bags taped to my side of, of fluid while I'm doing worship. And then in between services, before COVID, we had two services. I'd go and have a machine that would drain it out and pump it back in. And I'd come back and do more. 
And so it broke me. And Chris, I love you, man. He was by my side. You were by my side. All of you guys were by my side. And it, I, I prayed, and we had prayer nights and worship nights, and I still did worship nights, and I'd pray. We had, we had people come in, like um, Tim Bennett come in one night, and he did a worship night with us, and people were getting healed, like right here, and I'm singing. I'm like, God, just heal me. Just heal me. And I never got healed. And I started to get angry again. And so I know where a lot of you are at. Like, I know what it's like to sit there and watch other things happen that you're praying for. And you feel like God's abandoned you or God doesn't care or why bother. But I learned something because I almost died multiple times. Like the last time my, my transplants got as many of you know, got canceled probably five times. I think about four or five times, set a date, and they get there and they cancel it. So I'm getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Finally, get into the hospital. The last time, they're like, this is it. The nurse was obviously in a bad mood. So, hey, nurses, be in a good mood <laughs> if there's any of you in here. And she didn't want to be there. It was early. It was like 4 a.m. at Hopkins, and she... I don't know what her deal was, but she called a crash cart and freaked out, and they're prepping me. My brother my brother gave me a kidney, by the way. He was in the other room. He's already prepped, getting ready, and she calls a crash cart. They come, and they're like, what's going on? Like, 100 people around me, and I'm like, I'm not fine. I was like, if you, if you shock me, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> I told him that. I was like, do not shock me with that thing. And so the head of the surgery department or whoever she was, she comes in and she's like, listen, because they called a crash cart, we can't operate today. And I was like, what? And it broke me again. That was the ultimate bottom. Because I, at this point, I couldn't walk anymore. I was, like, dialysis wasn't working anymore. I was back on the um, uh, yeah, hemodialysis in, in the centers and stuff. And I, I was not going to make it. I was like, if you send me home, I won't live because I don't have the time. And my wife is in the other room. I hear her. He's not going to make it. Don't send him home. And, be, and I, before this happened, I had talked to Chris. I had talked to Tommy. And I had talked to my other friends and said, listen, I'm not going to make it. And I'm okay with that because sitting in those, in those rooms, in the living room, that all those nights, it got me to a place through the bitterness, through the anger, long-suffering got me to a point of true submission. That's the word. True submission. We all say, yeah, I submit to God. All of you out there say, yeah, I believe in God and I submit to his word. You mostly do. I got to the point where like the true submission, I, God, okay, I understand. I'm not going to make it. Please provide for my wife. Please provide for my kids. I submit to your will. And that's a place that's hard to be. So I talked to my friends. I said, please take care of my kids. Don't let my wife struggle. Help her if she needs help. Because I'm not, I'm not coming home. I felt okay with that. I got to peace with that. So sure enough, they canceled my surgery. And the lady's like, you're not going to be able to operate 
And I was like, I'm not going to make it. Just don't even reschedule. Because it's going to be months away, and I'm not going to make it. And she's like, no, I promise you, I'll get you in this week. And I was like, and she's like, I don't promise anybody that. So that's one way God made a way for me. Because she's like, I, and the lady, the nurse is like, you're promising him? I'm like, and she's like, yeah, I promise you. She's like, I'm going to get you a room here. We don't have any, but I'm going to find one. I'm going to get you a room. She got me a room. They put me on 24-hour dialysis for the next three days. And they fit me in. The plan was my brother was supposed to be in one surgery room. I was in the other. They take it out, put it in me. They couldn't do that. So they kept one surgery room open for a whole day for me and my brother after each other. Like, I'll go after him. When they took the kidney out of my brother, they told me afterwards, that kidney was so much too big for your brother. God made a way. 30 years ago, my brother was born. For me, they're like, that kidney is perfect for you. It's way too big for your brother. We don't know why it's in him. And I was like, well, (laughs) thank God, because I need one. So they gave me his kidney, and, like, God moved. Like, that, that, that operating room, the people saw, like, I went to my brother beforehand. I said, Carmen, my brother's name is Carmen, and he's awesome. And I said, Carmen, you don't have to do this because there's high risk for you. And being awesome, Carmen, that he is, he looked at me, and, and keep in mind, this is like a, like a lifetime movie situation, right? Like, all these, like, nurses are peeking around and, like, looking. They're, like, we're right in front of the nurse station, and they're like, and he's like, I said, you don't have to do this, Carmen. I know this is scary, and I know that it poses a lot of risk for you. And he looked at me and started crying. He said, if it gives you 10 more minutes with your kids and your wife, it's worth it. He's like, if I die and you get 10 more minutes, I'm, it's worth it for me. And so, like, these nurses were all, like, crying, like, like you guys and me. And, and these nurses and these doctors loved our story and our situation so much that they stayed on because they'd like, like, we don't know. I mean, like we trust our coworkers, but we know we're going to get it done. So they stayed on for 24 hours doing me and my brother back to back in one surgery and God made a way I'm alive. I'm well. And see, here's the thing. We might not see the now, the immediate, the, the healing like on the spot or the, I mean, I praise God for those, you know, awesome. I wish I had one of those. But through that, God taught me a lot. It gave me patience. It gave me submission. It taught me so many lessons that now I can pass on to my children and you guys. And I'm here. God provides a way. He's a way maker. Okay? And not only that, but like, we don't see what's right in front of us. I mean, we only see what's right in front of us. We don't see what God sees. He's got that above view that we don't see. So maybe he's not giving you healing right now. Maybe he's got something much better in store for you down the road that we can't see. And I know it's hard because I've been there, but let's learn to retrain our minds with long-suffering, with patience, with trust and faithfulness in God. Because without that, we're just bitter. And we're selfish. Because let's just trust. I had to get there, and I was so stupid and selfish and arrogant to think that, why am I not getting healed? Don't get me I was happy for those people. I prayed for them. But deep down, you know, I want, I want that healing. I wanted that. I, wanted, I still want my legs to be healed. But you know what? If I never get healed, I don't care because God's done enough. 
But just trust that God's got a bigger picture in store than what we see right now. Maybe the times are tough. Maybe you're not making enough money. But do you trust him enough to be obedient, to tithe, okay? Maybe you're getting laid off. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you don't have a job. So tithe. The lady gave two, what, shekels? Mites, mites, that's what it was, yeah. Two mites. Give what you have in obedience to God, whether it's finances, time, whether it's your trust and obedience. Do it because it's worth it. I'm living proof, and so are all these people that were up here today. God is a way maker, and for us to think anything else is, is selfish. Good. <laughs> Thank you. That was probably a better conclusion to this than I had written out. But I, I do want to end today by encouraging you all, whether you are up here sharing a story today or not, go share your story. Be a witness, right? Matthew 14 says, you are the light of the world. You are like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, right? Go share your light, your story. If you can't, if you think you don't have a story, try just completing these sentences. I know God is real because. I know God is good because. I know he loves me so much because. What are your answers to those questions? Those are the things you should be sharing. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know all the answers. Just know the answers to those questions for you. Go be a witness in the world to just what you have seen and heard from Jesus. Will you do that with me this week? Find somebody to share those answers with. That's all preaching the good news. That's all Jesus has ever asked you to do, to preach the good news. Share your story. Be a witness. But we're going to pray together today to end our time. Father, we thank you and we praise you for these stories and so many more. But as we are walking through life, so many of us are still living in the middle of our stories. We're we're still begging God for healing, for provision, for rescue in some way. As we're walking through those, God, that you would just give us the faith to believe. Believe that you are the way maker, that you make a way where there is no way, but also the faith to just submit to whatever it is that you have for us. Change our perspectives, God. Help us trust in you like never before. All of our hope, all of our faith in you. God, meet us there. Jesus, be our hope in times of trouble. Be our rescue when we're scared. Be our provision when we're broke. Be there for us in times of need. Help us lean on you and trust in you. You are a way-making God. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Would you all stand with me? Remember to share that with somebody this week. We have a street ministry training starting right after service today. If you want to learn how to do this, learn how to do it well on on a bigger scale than ever before, stay after, grab some lunch, stay a little while, attend that training, right? We we have so many good things coming up. But uh, today, try to keep that that message in your mind as we go from here. You are the light of the world. You are the witnesses to God's way-making capabilities. We're going to carry that with us today. Amen? 
Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.